This episode and all of our South by Southwest coverage is brought to you by Vimeo, the new home for 360 video. Hi, everybody. This is John Fusco, and you're listening to the No Film School podcast. Chances are, you know John Carroll Lynch's face, even if you don't know his name. The actor, who's perhaps best known for his role as the Zodiac Killer in David Fincher's Zodiac, has a staggering 110 acting credits to his name. At this year's South by Southwest, Lynch finally added another role to his resume, director. His debut feature, Lucky, stars the legendary Harry Dean Stanton, another actor who's no slouch when it comes to having a prolific acting career. In fact, the 90-year-old vet has amassed 199 acting credits to his name throughout his career. The film is a character study of an elderly yet spirited atheist living in small town Texas. Lucky must come to terms with the fact that he may be in the midst of his last few years of life. Lynch has worked with some of the best directors of our age, a list that includes everyone from Fincher to Scorsese to Clint Eastwood. We talk the techniques he brought with him from his favorites of the bunch, the transition from actor to director, and what it's like directing David Lynch. Enjoy. Hey everybody, I'm here with John Carroll Lynch, director of Lucky, um, a great movie I saw earlier this weekend. I think I'm going to start out, we were just talking, um, you have such a prolific career and huge resume as an actor uh why did it take so long for you to make this jump into directing um the uh, i mean for a long time i i i started in the theater and then moved to film so i didn't really feel qualified to uh, even consider directing for a long while and uh and slowly over the course of time i started to want to and then you have to figure out how, you know, because it's a full career, obviously. Um, and uh, there's essentially two ways that most people get to direct. Uh, they, uh, who are actors, uh, they, uh, well, anybody really, but you create your own material that you figure out a way to get financed and you do it that way. Or you, um, uh, you're on the third year of a television show and you kind of leverage yourself in by just pestering them to death until they finally say, fine. And they, they, they give you an episode and you do a really good job and then you kind of move on from there. And uh, uh, while I've had a, a ridiculously uh, bountiful television career, I've never been on the third season of a television <laughs> show. I've either started on third seasons of television shows, but I've never actually gone through one, two, three and, you know, dropped the seed in, scene, in, in, you know, in the first season and the second season. And maybe I could follow some people and then third season, what do you think? Come on, how about the back order? Let's do something. And, uh, and I've written things, and I'm and, uh, very proud of the co-writing I've done with my writing partner. Terrific things, but we haven't gotten a script that's like the right business model for your first feature. You know, it's, uh, we always seem to end up writing things that are more uh, expansive. Can I ask you what that uh, sort of script looks like, the, the f- pinnacle first Lucky is a Lucky is a perfect one. Uh, it's, it's contained in terms of... Um, well, no, Lucky isn't a perfect one, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, you, you, you know that you can do it in a short period of time. Uh, a great example. This is an example. That's a, a brilliant film and a brilliant performance is Sling Blade. It's, it's, it's containable. It's, uh, y- you know what the number's going to be. And in the case of Billy Bob, he also had, you know, the, the, you know, he knew what the part was going to be. He knew he wanted to play it and he knew he could get friends to fill in 
like John Ritter and, uh, and, uh, you know, um, uh, oh, Robert Duvall, you know, to, uh, to make sure he could get the financing and he keeps the number low, right? Mm -hmm. You got to keep the number low. And, uh, uh, that's, that's how you do it. Uh, that's how you do it. So, so then how did you get attached to this project? Well, I started, it started through my acting. Uh, uh, Drago Samanja is a friend, and he, he, I knew Logan, too. They're the co-writers of the piece. And um, I was in L.A. in 2015, briefly. Uh, we had moved, my wife and I had moved to New York. And uh, I was in L.A. briefly, and Drago said, hey, can I meet you for coffee? So uh, he comes over, and he gives me this script, and he said, listen... Um, Harry Dean's going to make this movie we've written, and, uh, um, you know, we've got uh, Ed Begley's going to be in it, and he's, we're asking him to direct the movie and wanted to know if you would want to play uh, Joe. And I read it, and I thought the script was great, and, and Four Days with Harry Dean, sure, I'd, I'd be happy to do that. You know, I said, sure, yeah, man, attach my name. If it helps you at all, I'm happy. If you can find $5, great, good for you. And, uh, and then a about eight weeks later, um, I was in Atlanta. I was working on The Founder. And uh, they called me, uh, Drago called me and said, you know, I know you've wanted to direct for a while, and uh, Ed's really busy with, with Better Call Saul and with the environmental stuff. And, you know, we just wonder, maybe we, maybe if, you, if we asked him if it was cool, uh, you know, with him, so they called him and said, you know, is it cool with you? And it's, he said, listen, I've, I want to do it, but I just, I can't focus on it. And so they called me and I said, okay, I'll, I'll, and in a laundromat in Atlanta, we had a conference call and waited for my clothes to dry. And I said, this is the story of the movie that I think you wrote. And, uh, you tell me if I'm wrong. And they said, no, that's it. And, uh, I said, okay, well, I'd like to, you know, walk through the movie with you. Uh, over the course of a couple of sessions, you know, a few weeks after this movie's over. So through the fall, we kind of walked through the script and made changes and and kind of added some elements and, you know, and turned some other elements. And we started going out to other casts that we thought might be available for financing and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, friends that might come aboard and play along with David and and Ed, who was going to be in the movie, and, um, and Harry Dean. And... And then uh, uh, we got a budget, and, and it's, it's a focusing thing. I mean, I've said this, it's a focusing thing when your lead is 89. You know, you really, you know, you really get to go to people and say, hey, um, we need a quick no. It's no's good, but we need it right away. And we didn't get a lot of them, frankly. So um, what was it like working with an 89-year-old lead as far as directing and I mean he's an amazing established actor in himself like how do you what did what did you have to do to get that sort of I mean just just his face you know well the, uh, it's funny everybody's like man that face is it, so it is it is it's incredible and uh, and uh, he brings he brings so much of that with him obviously I mean his life experience is extraordinary his work experience 236 films you know it's not like he doesn't know his way around the block um, one of the things I loved about Harry was when, whenever you change the angle wherever it was if he wanted a prop in frame, he knew exactly where the frame line was. He never asked the question. He just, where does the cigarette lighter need to be? <laughs> It'll be there. 
it's just a tiny example of the things he's just forgotten he knows. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, um, first, uh, the movie is written with his life as the basis of the fictional material. Um, so it's very personal material to him. And his ownership of that material uh, was a unique um, building block, right? So when you're talking about somebody who's going to act portions of their life in a fictional circumstance, it's a different relationship to someone who's even playing a real person. You know, let's imagine that, uh, you know, one, one is directing somebody who, um, who is uh, playing, you know, Albert Einstein. Well, that person is, is dealing with all the accoutrement of Albert Einstein, our understanding of Albert Einstein and the actual Albert Einstein and how those things dance and mix together. You're having that conversation. In this movie, we're like, okay, you're not, uh, I know this story is from your actual life. I know you lived this, but Lucky is saying it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what does that mean at this moment in this story that we're telling with your the building blocks of your life? Huh. It was a really complicated conversation to have. Yeah. And I say conversation, and that's not what you do with Harry Dean. You, you know, the, he's he's not that kind of person. He's he doesn't block it. He you know he doesn't have he he doesn't approach it with frontal lobes at all. I mean, he, he's a beer, mm. you know, and that's what his gift is. And so there were a lot of times where we had to kind of get into a shorthand of where we were in Lucky's story for his, his the, part, the part of his life that we were using to uh, what, what it was doing at that moment. Right, right. And uh, so we got to a kind of a shorthand you know, what, what was Lucky like before the fall? What was Lucky like after the fall? And then what happens to Lucky after he hears Fred's story, you know? Mm -hmm. And those were the kind of three pieces of the movie. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, three-act structure, essentially. Yeah. And, uh, and so that was what we came down to. There were a lot of moments where he's personally attached to something. And, um, and I, of course, went with it. I mean... I would do that with almost any actor in any circumstance, but in this one, it was vital to do, mm -hmm. because he was he was revealing himself in a really vulnerable way. So how did? I mean, this is probably a, uh, a question better suited to the writers, but this whole thing is so in, such an interesting thing to start writing as far as making a movie about Harry Dean's like how did how did they have that sort of relationship with Harry Dean well to the point I mean I can speak of uh, of the stories I've heard and maybe you'll get a chance to talk to Logan I know he's here somewhere yeah Logan uh, Logan's known Harry for a long time mm. and uh, at times Logan's an actor and a producer and a writer and and uh, at times when Harry's needed him and he's been free he's worked for Harry uh, and, uh, but he would go over to Harry's house, whether or not he was working with him, <laughs> you know, it didn't matter, you know, that, I, I don't think that's their relationship yeah, no. at all. Yeah. And he loves Harry and, 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 uh, and, uh, Drago, Drago's known Harry for a long time and, uh, he admires him deeply and, and they were talking and like, I think Logan, this is the story I heard Logan said, you know, I want to work with Harry, mm. you know, and they started talking to him about this idea. They're going to write him a movie. 
And I think for a long time, Harry was like, eh, whatever, you guys, it's not going to, you're not going to do it. Then they started writing it. And then they started talking to him about it and what was going to happen in it and how they were going to use the stories. And he was like, yeah, okay, it's never going to happen. And slowly over the course of time, you know, they willed it into being and, and they attached me and they got the other actors involved. And then we, we started getting, you know, the band, you know, the crew of people that are needed to make the movie started coming on board and slowly Harley started to realize, oh, we really are going to do this thing. And then it started to become real for him. Uh, which makes perfect sense to me because I, I mean, if you're fortunate enough to work and, you know, fortunate enough to have people who care about your work and want to see more of you, they're, they're going to go, I'm writing this thing for you. And you go, great. Thanks, man. And then you don't hear from them because it's really hard to get it done. Yeah. And so you just start, stop believing them. You know, you start, you, you, you kind of protect yourself. And with this particularly, um, when it's your stories. And it's it's your world. Yeah. I mean, he has a documentary called Partly Fiction. Okay. Which I watched preparing for the movie. And it was so great to sit, see, scene, you know, these documentary scenes with David and Harry sitting on David's couch drinking coffee and David <laughs> asking Harry questions. It's fantastic. And, uh, and I guess this is kind of the partly fact of mm. that. I mean, it's the flip side of that. Interesting. Yeah. Because it's, it's a narrative too. So (laughs) it's a narrative and it has an, it has a narrative. It has a, it's a, it's a, it's an interior journey, but it's a narrative. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing that was, that was the, that was the, uh, the challenge Mm -hmm. is to take these stories and to take this thing and to put it into a narrative that reflects and the essential experience that they, they feel those writers feel that Harry has had in his life. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a, that's really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's also challenging without, you know, getting into the, the, the space of manipulation or sort of, uh, overly nostalgic feeling where, you know, it's, um, looking back at something because it, it felt like it was like a slice of the present, you know? I mean, he has such a, um, a way of just being there mm-hmm. and having those events unfold like right before your eyes and seeing no matter how much history is behind him, like who he was in that moment. And I think that was, I mean, it was such a brilliant character study in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he, he, he uh, you know, I, I mean, I know that for me, I, I, I wasn't interested in, um, Harry's never interested in the past. Mm-hmm. He tells these stories as present events that are still he's working on. Wow. And, um, and, uh, and he, uh, and for him, uh, I think this journey, again, I'm speaking for him, but it's likely I'm speaking for him because, well, he's not here. First of all, I mean, he's 90 and he's like, I'm not, you know, I mean, he just, you know, he's, he's done the movie and I'm sure at some point we'll, there'll be interviews like this, but Harry didn't like to talk about this stuff Hmm. anyway. Um, I think for, for, for him, it was all about a question of, uh, of getting to a point where he, he gets the moment where that feeling he's gotten of peace around being that he tells everybody with a simple phrase like, you're nothing. Mm-hmm. The, the first thing that Lucky says in the movie is, you're nothing. Uh, he turns to Joe and says, you're nothing. And then Joe turns back, you're nothing. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a, 
that's a call and response he does with the valet at Agos. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he believes it. We're all nothing. And we're all nothing. And that's okay with him. Mm. He's, he's 100% okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Life happens in 360 degrees. And now, on Vimeo.com, so do your videos. Now you can upload, watch, and even sell your 360 videos on Vimeo. Vimeo 360 means immersive eye candy, immersive adventures, and immersive storytelling from the world's best filmmakers. Plus, Vimeo has tons of helpful resources for all experience levels. You can learn how to shoot, how to edit, and even get roundups of the best 360 video gear. Join the new home for 360 video at vimeo.com slash 360. You know, going back to the fact that this is your first feature as a director, I mean, it's such a... It's also crazy to me that you didn't write it because it just feels like such a deeply personal and like unique sort of vision. Um, you having acted in so many films yourself and worked with so many different directors, were there was there anything that you had like kept in mind from favorite directors that you had learned from experience on how to work with actors or how to work just in general? Well, I knew what I knew how uh, directors I'd worked with were effective with me. And I've, I'd seen the adaptation of effectiveness with others. Mm. And um, I have a vocabulary f- uh, for my own, for myself, uh, that works. And one of the things you have to do as a, as a, as a director, uh, this part I wasn't worried about at all, was um, adapting the vocabulary for the, for the actor you're working mm. with. Um, I'm going to put it in musical terms because it's just kind of simpler. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're trying to uh, uh, arrange a combo, you're not going to talk to the piano player the same way you talk to the violinist. Mm-hmm. And and music is far more notated, far more universally notated than acting ever will be. Mm. So the uniqueness of the instrumentation that you bring to a movie mm. or bring to a scene or bring to a play... Um, is eclectic and and unique mm-hmm. in a way that you know it's eclectic and unique with every player of every instrument, but the notations are generally the same. Mm-hmm. You can talk about quarter and eighth notes, you can talk about keys, you can talk about you know bridges, you can talk about you know all the things you can talk about tempo. Mm-hmm. Um, with acting, you can talk about those things, but it's not necessarily universal. So each individual person you're working with as an actor or as a director, has their own vocabulary for what they do. Right. And it's either self-taught or it's, uh, or it's structural from a school. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was fortunate as an actor to come up through uh, working. working. I mean, I, I find myself fortunate in it. I've work, I work with a lot of people who came through really definitive schools of acting, and they're great. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's just I was ha- I was happy that I was asked to be malleable in the process of the work, which uh, has helped me a lot. So how do you identify those sort of um, characteristics? Would you say it's just from experience or those like... Improv. Improv? Huh. I mean, you know, you just listen and talk and you see what works. And you, uh, you know, you find turns of phrase, you find... Moments, like, I mean, Gene Hackman was famous for saying to directors, I want to hear four things, faster, slower, louder, softer. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And that worked for him. Yeah. I mean, the body of work is extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some, some 
actors don't want to hear from directors at all, and you have to figure out a way to direct them without talking to them. And, uh, you know, uh, Harry's, Harry's working with Harry Dean was a challenge because he's, he's a master artist. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you've got to bring it. Well, you and were, he can smell it when you're not. Yeah. I mean, you were working with a master artist and you're working with, um, like, one of the greatest auteurs of yeah. our time. Yeah. As an act, as an actor yeah. too, David yeah. Lynch. Yeah. So, what was it like directing well, Lynch? Well, David was. Uh, I, I mean, I was too. I was. I mean, I was very busy that day, busy <laughs> those days. But so I didn't have time to be too intimidated. But I was thrilled that he came. But David was. David, I think, came to play as the actor he wants to work with, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So he came prepared. He was adaptable. Mm -hmm. He had ideas and strong opinions about certain things, but he uh, he uh, accepted the dialogue. I mean, I'm talking about in between personal dialogue, mm -hmm. and he also has he brings his lifetime of directing to his acting because he knows how the camera's going to. He knows what the shot is. You know, it's it's almost like it's talking about this. It's almost like you're doing the exact reverse Opposite. of each other. Yeah. Because you know you you have so much experience in acting that you you're becoming the director that you've always wanted to act for. And he's the... That's, I think that's, I mean, I would, uh, I would, uh, I don't want to presume yeah. that I have anything at all to do with David Lynch's journey. Sure. But I think <laughs> that the analogy is not, not inaccurate. Yeah. You know, he's acted a few times. Certainly he's acted more than I've directed. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but, I, uh, but he was, tr he, he was the actor. I think he, he came as the actor he wants to direct. Yeah, and uh, he did a hell of a job. Obviously, I, I'm I'm so impressed with what he did in the movie. Um, but also, there were there was a moment where Harry was struggling with this one run of lines. When I forget things, when I can't remember them, it's likely because I'm not attacking them the right way. It's likely because I'm not playing them the way they should be played, mm -hmm. and I don't understand why they're there. Right. And that was happening with Harry and with the with the the volume of work it was he was getting frustrated with this one beat because we'd get there and he couldn't he wouldn't couldn't make couldn't turn the corner to right. it and he turned he's like what the fuck am i saying this for why am i even fucking turning this person what is what is this here for mm. and and i said well this is kind of what i think it's here for Harry. i think you're talking about this and i think you're i think this is the reason why you turn to that person and ask him that question and i think that's the response you're trying to find some sap for what you're feeling and he's like, yeah. and he did what I do. I've done a thousand times is you, you try to play the politics of it. You turn to the other actor you're working with, you know, mm -hmm. and you turn to the other actor and go, do you understand this? Yeah. <laughs> so he turns to David, oh, do you man. understand this? <laughs> and David goes, yes, I do. Harry. <laughs> and he goes, well, what the fuck is it then? And David turned to me and looked at me, and I said, jump on in, feel free. Cool. And he was like, turned back to Harry, and he goes, it's not my place to say, Harry. <laughs> that is an amazing And I story. thought, that's the actor he wants to play. He wants to be when it, he wants actors to do that, which is shut up and let me direct this thing. Huh. Don't, don't muddy the water. Let it be between me and that other actor. Don't get involved. Interesting. And I, I loved that. It was said so serenely and with such love and care. And he, it wasn't, it was perfect. Yeah. It was a perfect response. And so we did it. Now, the funny thing about it is, Harry was right. It's not in the movie. 
we cut the beat. Hmm. He was right. Yeah. We didn't need it. Yeah. Did, um, <laughs> you know, because I, I come from actually a, a theatrical background myself. I've talked with so many directors that stress the various importance of different aspects of production. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it seems like your, your background in theater, as far as really breaking down, you know, like your character's objectives, whatever, talking mm-hmm. with the actors about those sort of things mm-hmm. is, is, is paramount. Yeah. Um, Some actors play that way and... And uh, certainly that's the way I was taught, and yeah. that's the way I, I, I still work. Some actors respond to that, and some actors don't, um, depending on how they learned. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you have to go, each director has to go to where that, that actor lives. Mm-hmm. And can't get, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice as a director if you think you're going to change the actor's process to fit you, right? I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to find a way to bring out what you feel the scene needs um, from their point of view. You know, from where they're, from where they play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, it, it helps you. Certainly helps you, and it's certainly the way I think about it. Mm-hmm. But it's not universal, and uh, and you really have to come at it. Like, say somebody comes out of a sketch background, you know, or um, a, a brilliant actor. Um, um, uh, he's so per- terrific. And he came out of clowning, and I'm thinking of it. He's on Legion. He's on Legion right oh, now. Oh, uh, is it um, the, the Dan Stevens? The, no, the lead? no, not Dan Stevens. He, oh, Bill Irwin. Bill, Bill Irwin. Yeah. Bill Irwin learned as a clown, mm-hmm. okay? Clowning it has a centuries-old tradition that breaks down scripts and breaks down scenes in completely different ways than, than Stanislavski ever imagined mm-hmm. to do it. Uh, do you just simply throw that away, simply throw that away the centuries, and simply throw away a master artist's experience because mm. it doesn't fit your conception of what it should be like? Mm. That seems dogmatic in a way that's unreasonable. Right. And counterproductive. Yeah. Um, Harry Dean uh, went to school for acting. He's acted for years. T- well, 1956, so he's acted for, you know. He's, he's been in the game for yeah. 50 years. Been in the <laughs> More game for than 60 years. Yeah, 60 years. So uh, I imagine that by this time, you know, he just plays the chords, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Eric Clapton doesn't think to himself uh, C to G anymore. You know, he just does it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that that's the way Harry does it. Great. Well, I guess I have one time for one more question. Probably I don't want to uh, keep these others waiting. Um, and it's a question that I, I ask a lot of um, our guests. But uh, for you, it seems particularly apt because it's you know you've you've been here for so long, um, and it took you a while to get to this point. But do you have any advice for any like first-time directors, or um, what was your, what is your best piece of advice? for people who are really looking to like make You know, that I had I had great help from friends who have been in the directing chair for a while and and uh, I sought them out and they were generous to me. Uh, and I I'd been talking with DPs and directors before this about the process and observing and watching directors direct for years. Um, but I would say the primary things I I I learned from every director I admire is um, you know, be prepared. I mean, do the homework that's necessary for you to be really clear. And then the other thing is that understand that 
uh, it's not you're you're not there to prove your preparation. You're there to get what you need, mm. and and be clear about what what it is you need from every moment and every scene, mm-hmm. and um, and that would be I would say the primary pieces of because the places that I and and also understand that you're likely wrong, so have a plan B. <laughs> And if you can think of a plan C, have a plan C. It's all preparation. Yeah, it is. And it just seems like you come from this with such an actor's, sta- like an actor's standpoint of just well, being. Well, you can't, you, you bring what you know, right? So um, I, one of my favorite directors I've ever worked with is an editor and he brought all of that with him. Yeah. He started as an editor and you could feel it when he knew what he needed <laughs> and it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Great, man. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. Yeah. Nice talking to you. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, go to whatever podcast platform you use. Go subscribe to us. I guarantee you were on it. If you do primarily use iTunes, it would really help us out if you go give us a five-star rating. And it will help us continue coming out with some great interviews over the course of the next year. Stay tuned this Thursday for another episode of Indie Film Weekly, where we will be talking about some of our best experiences at this year's Tribeca Film Festival. I'm John Fusco. You can follow me at Jim underscore John underscore Jim on Twitter. You can follow No Film School at No Film School. And until Thursday, take it easy.